0: What's up everybody and welcome back to the full 40 here with Chris Trevor and Willie and today a special guest. You know, we just had the Georgetown game. We'll talk a bit about that, but probably not at all. But what we're really here to talk about is a Butler preview and talk a little bit about the bracketology, the brackets with none other than Lucas Harkins, who is one of the best bracketologists in college basketball. So let's get into it. Chris Trevor. How are we doing today?
1: I mean, doing good. Vibes are pretty good. You come off of a beatdown of Georgetown, you feel good about yourself. But, but you know, we got a lot of work left to do. The rest of the season is now the story. So we didn't, we didn't eviscerate ourselves with a loss to Georgetown. So I feel good that we just didn't do that. Our, our metrics are trending in the right direction. Those things make me feel pretty good. But I'm fully prepared for if Lucas is going to – is going to, if Lucas going to rain on our parade or tell us that there's maybe sunshine ahead, (laughs) but it does start with a, with a, with a really key matchup of Villanova hosting Butler on Tuesday with massive bubble implications. I would imagine Lucas, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that that, that that's correct.
2: Yeah, for sure. It's a really big one for both teams. Uh, but obviously coming off now uh, back-to-back losses at home. I uh, really, I really, it's kind of a point with both these teams right now where they're both kind of eyeing if they can get to 10 wins in conference, they'll feel pretty good about where they stand. If they can get to 11, even better. Uh, and obviously that gets much easier for both teams. If they're able to take this game, um, the path gets easier for both to, to be able to notch off one of those victories.
1: So I guess, I guess I want to talk a lot about the bubble. But as we approach this game on Tuesday, both teams are a little bit in a different spot than they were the last time we met. When we met last time, Villanova was coming off a three-game losing streak, th- losers of four out of five, um, had just gotten pounded by, I think it was St. John's, yeah, and, St. John's. And, um, and Butler was starting to really – really dig in they had i don't want to say a slow start to the year It wasn't ever a bad start but and it was it was a good non-conference overall Um, at that time the texas tech win that you guys had and we had didn't seem as tremendous as it ended up as it has ended up being for both teams Yep. so the resume and the non-con for butler kind of improved with time and and so the and so and I would say that was right around the hottest period of Butler's schedule um, when we played last. It's been a little bit different of late with Villanova now winners of three of the last four, um, and Butler coming off a little bit of a slide here. What's What's gone wrong for Butler in the very recent couple weeks?
2: Uh, for one, having to play UConn and Marquette um, <laughs> is going wrong. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, it, it hasn't really been – I think they have played twenty bad minutes, uh, and that's the last twenty. And the, really, they played ten, yeah, twenty bad minutes. This is last twenty minutes um, against Creighton. Like, like playing UConn to nine on the road, it was a competitive game uh, in Hartford. Nine is the closest anyone has played UConn in Hartford this year when they've had Donovan Klingon. That that's just kind of the nature of playing at UConn. Then uh, yeah. they come home, they they beat Providence, and then they get back-to-back home games, which are losses. But it's going, to be, it's going to be really tough for anyone who's obviously no one else in the league has done so, but to win at Marquette and at Creighton and then get them at, the home, at home, they're both better teams than Butler is. And, I, and the odds that they were going to sweep both, even coming home for the second leg of it, I thought were pretty low. Uh, the Marquette game, they were competitive. They got it to two with, with three or four minutes to go. And, and then Creighton, it was the worst half of basketball Butler has played this season. The second half of that game, I think, was the worst 20 minutes they
1: played. Yeah, that game was rough. I watched most of the second half of that game, and I was, frankly, shocked. Um, It just felt like Posh was trying to force action. It it just felt like there was nothing. Everything was hard for for Butler in that second half. Yeah, I, I mentioned Posh trying to force action. It just felt like they couldn't get anything. They couldn't get any positive momentum going, and then the defense really let them down. Creighton was just playing Really, really smart offensively, and just finding every seam in the defense. Uh, I, I, I don't. I, I'm struggling to see if that's more of a compliment to Creighton that maybe they're starting to pull pull their stuff together, or is it, or was it a Butler problem, or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah,
2: I think a little bit of both. I think, especially in the league as talented as the Big East is, you're not going to go through a three week straight sketch stretch without playing a bad half. Uh, And Butler played well against the Paul Georgetown, Nova, Creighton, UConn, Providence, Marquette, in in what was six, seven consecutive games where they pretty much played good halves um, throughout. And then they they got to the Creighton game, and it was a bad second half. Like, it just kind of felt like Creighton was able to get into a rhythm early in the second half, and and when they were able to start spraying it around and really pushing the ball side to side and getting you out of position, Butler tied its offense to its defense in that game. Uh, And and really – Butler's not a very good defensive team, but if you're able to slow down their offense or take Butler out of their rhythm offensively, uh, it can get away in a hurry. And that's really what happened this one at 57 points um, for Butler is its lowest since maybe the season. I can't remember.
0: Yeah. I mean, like the way I look at it overall for Butler is just like, Michigan state. It's, it's mid February basketball in the big East. Like it's going to happen. Like where you just have these halves and then for it to happen, like against Creighton, who, my feelings aside, is a allegedly a quality basketball team. I have issues. I think Creighton's not that good in the scheme of college basketball, but still, whatever. A decent team, uh, Marquette's great. And then you lose to UConn at UConn. Like it's whatever. Like the fact that you got the Providence win hammered in there tells me when I look at it, Butler's doing what they need to be doing. They didn't get the big win to like put them off the bubble, or, like, or not off the bubble, they're pretty off of it right now, but, you know, solidly in the field, let's say. But as of right now, like, honestly, kind of holding serve with how I'd expect, with maybe you hope that you're able to pull the Mar- like Marquette game out. But the game that we're all talking about, the reason we're here, is that Nova game is the one for for Butler to kind of be like, all right, let's... A win for this kind of solidifies Butler, not solid, like pushes them further into the safe side of things as compared to, like... All right, a loss, and then it's like, all right, well, now they're a little bit more bubbly. And as, as for Nova, now I think all our fans would like to hear like, what are the, how do we feel about Villanova right now? I've seen, you know, first four out. I've seen deeper besides first four out. There's a little bit more momentum coming, but still, we haven't got the marquee win in the last like two months that would put us a little bit stronger, um, safer on the on the safe side of the bubble, let's say. Yeah,
1: for
2: one, I think something with Butler is I think the way this stretch has gone has been a little bit more skies, has, fa- has led to a little bit more skies falling. Yeah. Uh, like if, if you head into that home game against Villanova uh, at the end of January, it's a stretch of Nova at home, Creighton on the road, Yukon on the road, Providence at home, Marquette, Creighton at home. You know, three and three is not a bad stretch, yeah. and they ended up going three and three. The problem is three of the losses were in the last four, and the last one leaves obviously what is. The sourest taste in the mouth for a Butler game, uh, quite frankly, since Michigan State in November. Uh, so I think it's just kind of been that, and I think it's easy to take a 22 point loss and go the sky is falling. Uh, and, and as I said, I've said this to a couple of Butler people in the last you know 24 hours since that game is as much as you want to believe the sky is falling it hasn't hit the ground yet. Like <laughs> someone has to play their way into the field to knock Butler out of the field, I think is where it's at. And that comes into where Villanova is. And they're one of those teams that can't do that. I think you hit on them being um, in discussions of a first four out or even a little further back of that. Um, I think first four out is right um, coming into this game. And I think it can be a switch. Um, I wouldn't be that surprised. Um, I have to get into, I haven't gotten into an update for post weekend stuff because I'm still waiting for uh, Utah to finish up its weekend. Uh, but Heading into tomorrow, I don't think it would be that big of a stretch for me to think that Tuesday night's game, at least as it is is a snapshot for what Wednesday morning will look like, the winner could be in the field and the loser could be out on Wednesday morning yeah. uh, and seeing what happens for the next for the next three weeks.
0: This is what's fun about this, like with the Big East and just, in, I mean, college basketball in general, but specifically when you have like uh, a top-heavy conference where then there's just a bunch of like middling teams where it's just like as, down the stretch, every game is a play-in game like or is essentially functional fun- functions as that where you're out and you're falling, you're falling outside of it. You're in, you win and you're a little bit more in. So this is, I mean, it's going to be fun. I'm excited uh, for it. Um, yeah. I'm just, I, I think it's going to be, I mean, the game is going to be high leverage, um, but just excited for like the stretch run here.
1: Lucas, what are you looking for in the game? What do you think just keys to the game type things for Butler are um, in this one?
2: Quite frankly, I think it's Pierre Brooks. Kind of just as a singular player to to nail down. Uh, he's been Butler's leading scorer for much of the season. He's a, he's in a really big slump right now. Uh, five points I have at the at perfect Utah. team for
3: him to play. <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: and then twelve fifteen and a season low two um, against Creighton this weekend. It was one for six, two turnovers. He's had a really difficult time um, when he's put the ball on the floor. He's tried to been he's tried to be a little bit more of a creator recently. Um, and in doing so, it, it's resulted in a fair number of turnovers. Uh, and that's been kind of a trending issue for Butler of late. I mean, if you were just want to look at um, overall season statistics this year, Butler's a great team at taking care of the ball. It's still 43rd in the country um, in turnover rate. It, it's sub 250, I think, over the last five games. Uh, they have not been taking care of the ball well. So I think ball security um, and if they can get Pierre Brooks going, because really – When it comes down to looking at what Butler has done this season, it really is what they do on the offensive end is that propels them to to being a successful team. Um, And if they're not taking care of the ball and if Pierre Brooks isn't playing well, um, those two in tandem make their offense far less, far less potent. And therefore, uh, it's really hard to win when those things aren't cooking. And, And that was the case against Creighton. But not only were those two things not cooking, neither were D.J. Davis and Jamil Telford. It was kind of a, a mix of, of all three of Butler's offensive weapons just had bad days yeah. um, in that game. And that's been something that I've noticed as a trend for Butler this year. They've been significantly better away from field Fieldhouse than they have been at home this year analytically. Uh, Sounds and and great. that comes back to their best wins this year, being at Creighton, at Marquette, yeah. and and Boise State being the fourth best win behind Texas Tech, that was on a neutral court. Uh, their best wins have all been on the road. Their best performances, quite frankly, have been on the road, even in their losses, like nine points to, at, at UConn isn't a bad loss. And meanwhile, at home, uh, they've gotten they've gotten beat by Seton Hall at home. They've gotten destroyed by Creighton at home. And even if you go back to some wins in non-conference, uh, they needed two overtimes to beat a California team that's not very good. They beat a Buffalo team that's 346th and Ken Bomb by 13. They've been a better team away from Hinkle, and that's such a weird thing to say, um, especially for a Butler team that has been uh, as successful as it has been at Hinkle, especially against um, you know the, the fans that I'm talking to on this podcast. <laughs>
0: uh, just as an aside, you mentioned um, Boise State. This will be a yep. thing I want to talk about towards the end. Are we getting a six bid Mountain West? We don't need to answer that now, but I'm so intrigued by this. <laughs> so it's, like, it's my that's my question, but we can hit that a little bit later.
1: <laughs> um, Lucas, I guess I guess on our side, um, you know, the thing thing that I think Villanova fans are excited about right now is Brandon Hausen, has been a flamethrower. And sorry, you're talking it- to me
2: about Brandon Hawson, the guy who said.
1: Yeah, two
2: or three years, or three years ago, he's going to be an All-American as a senior. I feel great about Brendan Hoffman. Yeah. I've, I've I've loved him since the second I saw him in a Butler practice camp before his senior year at Amarillo. Duke to ball.
1: Yeah, I well, well, there you go. You've been proven right so far. Um, and what Villanova has done, so there's been a lot that Villanova fans have complained about this year, including us. But one of the things that has definitely happened is we've seen development from Brendan Haasen on his ability to stay on the floor because last year he could, he could shoot the shit out of the ball, but he couldn't stay on the floor defensively. He was a total liability this year. He has graduated from, he's graduated to below average, but not running off the floor. yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. I would agree. And, and also finding some moments where he can find a timely read on a, on a defensive set where he can create a turnover. And stuff like that so he's found him he's found himself in a in a position where he's probably our sixth or seventh man i would say but he's getting significant minutes and earning significant minutes because he just stretches the defense even if he's not shooting or making a lot of shots he is stretching the defense out and forcing the or letting the rest of the guys go four on four and, um yeah yeah one,
0: one thing that's been interesting we talked about his development like to your point chris it's for me, it's almost less about the development of like his skills, which is obviously super important, but how that changes the way we play. Like the fact that now, to your point, when we run a zoom action and he's coming off of like he's flying over the screen, um, and he gets the ball and people hedge out hard on him, he's now not just chucking a three or picking up his dribble, it's now like a quick pull up and a dump down to the person diving. And it's things like that where I'm like, oh, this is this is interesting, like he's doing a really good job of this, and it's just adding wrinkles and new, um just honestly new wrinkles to the offense, which makes us more dynamic, which makes us like just look better. I mean, we've said this, we talked about this in the beginning of the year, but like Dixon was getting doubled all season. And now what we finally have started doing is putting Hausen when he's on the floor on the same side as Dixon. So if that double comes, you're giving up a wide open three to Hausen or it's getting rotation immediately. And then someone else is going to get a high quality shot from it if we're moving the ball the way we should be. So honestly, his presence, if we, like we talked about at the beginning of the year, like glue guy or X factor, like if we're going to make any sort of push, I don't even want to use the word run if we're making any sort of push towards being an actual tournament team, he's that X factor. And he's already showing like, Hey, like I can, I can do this.
3: Yeah. I'm getting like, uh, end of sophomore year for Dante or end of Dante's redshirt freshman year vibes kind of on just like you said, not like he's going to put the team on his back and carry us somewhere, but just that, um, when he plays well and gets his opportunity and, and can stay on the floor for extended periods of time, the team just looks different, um, that 2017 team yep. was, like, dragged by Josh Hart for the majority of the year. Yeah. And um, Dante really started putting it all together towards the end of that year. Uh, I still the end watch yeah, and, I still uh, watched
0: the Wisconsin game where he had, like, eight straight. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's doing it. And then we still, we lost. but <laughs> Yeah. So, that's uh,
2: – I, I won't show you the other half of my room. I got Henkel here. I got the Devin Harris jersey over there. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I'll take that one. The, the
1: The thing that I'm looking at is is it's going to be a battle of wills when Butler has the basketball, right? Like Villanova's defense has proven to be top tier in the conference. You know, I guess this side of UConn when they're when since UConn's had clinging back, but the number two in adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, and so you know, and and obviously Butler's offense is strong, and can and can really score in waves. It, it's it's kind of a it, I think that side of the ball is going to be it's going to be really interesting. Can Villanova clean up the boards because it's the one area from a defensive they'll, standpoint. They'll, they'll where – will Villanova... be fine
2: there. they will be fine there. Okay. Don't <laughs> worry <know> about
1: it. <laughs> um,
2: it's not something you know, Butler does particularly. It's not part of their scheme either. Butler's not an offensive rebounding unit.
1: Yeah. So that's the one area where I'm I'm interested to see. I mean, obviously the way the last game played out, um, Villanova fans felt good about that game for about two-thirds and then felt really, really fucking bad about that game for the last
0: second. Yeah, Yeah, two-thirds is even uh, like conservative. I felt great for 86% of the game, (laughs) Let's say say 96%
2: leave the Final Four for the number four in a Butler uniform for DJ Davis, Yeah, (laughs)
0: which which effectively won the game. Yeah. yeah. And some shoddy
1: uh, half-court defense (laughs) towards the end of the game. Since Villanova is more apt to give up the 11-0 run than to get an 11-0 run, I I doubt the game will start the way it did last time. Um, I'd be more – I'd be less shocked by it starting with an 11-0 Butler run, but if there. it helps,
2: if it helps, that hasn't happened yet this year. Butler fell <laughs> down 11-0 to Nova and 15-0 to Providence. Shot. Yeah.
0: Unstoppable, <laughs> unstoppable object meets movable force. Like whatever you <laughs> <call> it, <laughs> whatever you want to say, however you want to say it.
1: So uh, yeah, I'm in, I'm interested to see. I mean, uh, look, I think uh, I think Villanova. I think uh, at least in our shoes, and we'll get into the bubble of conversation. This does feel must win E. It's not fully because the three games at the end of the season for Villanova, like yeah. it, it theoretically Villanova sweeps them and loses to Butler and loses to Yukon and beats Georgetown, so I guess that mix of that mix of four and two or whatever is theoretically enough, but man, a home opportunity at the Finn versus a team that we had. We had you guys on the ropes last. It feels like this has to be the one that we get. Yeah,
0: I think. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I mean, barring us taking care of business, you know. And and to go back, to go
2: back a bit to what you guys were discussing earlier, even like, and I get that I'm one of the like biggest Brennanhausen Hausen fans outside of the main line, but like, I, 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 it was. Genuinely, like, I was very happy as a Butler fan to see only four minutes in the first matchup. Uh, and I know that given this recent stretch, that will not be the case yeah, that, um, on it. Tuesday night, obviously.
0: We'll be shocked if it is. I will be flat out shocked if that happens.
1: Uh, you know, the the good thing is, is our coach has never made a bad rotational decision in his life, so. so. Yeah, true. <laughs> he's, he's, he's 10 for 10 or whatever you want to call it.
0: Yeah. All no, right. It's, it's, well, one thing I wanted to call out was just like, I, I just, like, I, you mentioned Pierre Brooks. I just always go back yeah. to Jamil Telford. Like, I think he's yeah. been such a huge um, – He's player, Butler's but best player. He's, he's been a huge addition. Um, yeah. And a similar, like, to your Brendan Hawson story. I, I live up in Boston, and two or three years ago sure. I went to a Northeastern yeah. game. And yeah. I was like, who is this kid? Like, he was popping off. And I was just, like, not even playing like upstairs. Like, who is this kid? And then I was like, he's going to be an interesting up transfer in a couple years. And here we are. And he's yeah. – the best player on a good Butler team. Like this is yeah. – so I'm really excited. I mean, I, when I, whenever he's not playing us and I'm watching, like, I love this guy. I love how he plays. Yeah. Um, and now we're going to have to like cheer against him. For, or maybe he can – you know what? He can have a great game and then we can win. That's what I'll take that. We'll, just, yeah. we'll, say, we'll call it like that.
1: So do you guys want to do a quick ad run and then we'll jump into the uh, – we'll jump into yeah. the bracketology session?
0: That's good sure. for me.
3: Today's episode of The Full 40 is brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield produces some of the best quality vintage collegiate apparel on the market. You won't find better game day gear anywhere else. Homefield has the ultimate collection of old school logos and looks with the best quality around. Shop t-shirts, crew necks, hoodies, bomber jackets and more at homefieldapparel.com. Don't forget to use code NOVAINSIDER for 15% off your first purchase. That's code NOVAINSIDER at homefieldapparel.com.
1: All right, we're back. Um, so I guess maybe um, I, I guess maybe the the, the the question that I have here is there's there's six teams clogged up in the middle of the Big East, um, Butler, Villanova, St. John, Xavier, Providence, Seton Hall. Is there at this juncture is are any of those six teams? I understand that conceptually, if any of these teams like win out or make a big run or whatever, that they theoretically can find their way back in. But is there any teams in that six that have fallen out of the bubble conversation in your mind?
2: No, I don't think so yet. Um, I think it might be getting there for a couple. I think St. John's is in trouble um, with its loss today as well, coming at home. They were already 56th in strength the of record 74th in KPI coming into the day. Uh, it's another loss. Uh, They've, they've lost so many of their good opportunities so far this year. I think they're going to have a really tough time getting there. And especially because the knock on St. John's uh, right now is they just don't really have the quality of wins that the other teams in the league. If you're looking at at a Butler or a Providence um, or a, or a Villanova uh, or a Seton Hall, like they just don't have those quality wins. They're now only 14 and 12 And when you talk about the quality wins that they can still get, it's limited. They hit Georgetown twice still and DePaul in their last five games. The only games they have that are quality left are quad one games at home against Creighton and then at Butler. Uh, And even if they win those four, that would give them four quad one wins, which would tie, which would just at best tie Butler Providence um, and, and, and be one behind Seton Hall. I think that they have a really tough battle um, to get there, and I think Xavier is in trouble. Um, in that capacity as well. Um, not with back-to-back losses, and they have more opportunities for quality wins on the stretch. They still get Marquette twice. They get Butler on the road. They get Providence at home. But I think they're in a tough spot. At thirteen and twelve, just puts you in um, such a difficult spot because even if even if Xavier is to finish ten and ten in conference play, they'd only be one game over five hundred. Uh, in which case, they need to win two in the Big East tournament to avoid just being 500 on Selection Sunday. That's not going to cut it. Uh, I think those are the two in the most danger of falling off the bubble conversation uh, of that group. Whereas, I think uh, the Butler, Providence, Seton Hall, Villanova group is a touch closer. Slash, um, two of those probably in the field today.
1: So, I guess maybe let's go to that side of the coin. Who I, I, I gathered that you have Butler in the field right now. Are they? I expect
2: that to be the case.
1: Yeah. Are you, do you think that they'll, I know you haven't done your update, but do you yeah. think that that's looking like a last four in or are they a first four or last or first last four buys or maybe kind of where, where do you think that you have Butler shaking out at the moment?
2: Yeah, I think Butler will be somewhere between three and six, the last three or six in. So I don't know if they'll be in the last four in or the last four buys, but they'll certainly be close to that conversation. Um, if they're not last four in, they'll be they'll be right in the, the bottom part of last four buys, I think. Uh, they do have the advantage of, of two of the better road wins that anyone in the bubble has at, at Creighton and at Villanova. I think that's an edge. Uh, and I think we're coming off seeing the, the bracket reveal uh, on Saturday. And if there's any indication of what matters from that, uh, the committee's treatment of North Carolina, giving them the number one two seed uh, as a team that has performed very well on the road and has better quality – has better resume metrics compared to their peers, uh, and that's where Butler stands. They have the best resume metrics of of the bubble teams in the Big East, including forty second in strength of record. Uh, whereas teams like like Villanova is sixty seventh, St. John's is fifty sixth in, in that in that category. So I think that Butler would probably be in that area, uh, and, but I really don't think there's that much. There's I think the bubble right now is pretty small. We're already getting to a point where it's pretty small, uh, and the fact that that six Big East teams are in a pretty small bubble is is, is so intriguing.
1: Is, is it going to be a, I mean, maybe a more theoretical question? Like, I, I find myself getting constantly, like, nervous that, like, hey, the Big East is putting themselves in this – for the conference in the, in the sense that it's been a good year for the conference. It wasn't maybe the best out-of-conference schedule, although I think that the out-of-conference has actually gotten better for Villanova – I mean, sorry, for the Big East as time has yeah, – yeah. uh, kind of gone on, but, but it it feels like we missed some opportunities in the out of conference. But now I think a lot of people expected UConn and Marquette to quote, unquote, donate some more wins to the field uh, of teams. And and they're, and they're not, (laughs) they just simply have not. Um, And for that reason, I'm I'm a little bit concerned because even though DePaul and Georgetown have quote, unquote, done their jobs of just being absolutely (laughs) terrible, like it, it it feels like, it feels like it's everyone, cannibalization. Yeah, it's cannibalization, and for whatever reason, it's making everyone, it's dragging everyone off the bubble in 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 a weird way. I don't know if that's right or it's wrong. Kind of the,
2: it's kind of the anti Mountain West, whereas the Mountain West has done the same thing where they've cannibalized each other, but they don't have UConn and Marquette at the top of yep. the league stealing wins from everybody. Like they don't have that team. Like San Diego State's lost. I think three or four, at least, conference games. That that isn't the case with the UConn. That's fourteen and one, uh, and I think that that's that's where it comes down to it. I think they don't have that elite. Whereas, like so the Mountain West right now is six teams in, in contention, but they're all in like a six to eleven seed range. Whereas the Bay East is all in this ten to twelve. Whereas with two teams that are just way above everybody else, and then Creighton in the middle, uh, right. it is a really interesting point in that capacity. And but I do think it's something that can clear up. Um, A little bit down the stretch here, especially if you see some of these teams potentially fall off in in these coming weeks. Uh, Like if you see a St. John's team, like they're going to they're going to get Butler out of the road. Like that's that's a tough game. Like there's 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 situations here that can get that can shrink this group of six down to a group of three or four pretty quickly. There's still so much season left, really. Like when it comes down to it, there's still five or six games left for every team. Uh, and that really is a lot. Like yeah. if you come to it, it's the fifth of the season in a lot of cases.
1: Right. I guess kind of switching gears to Villanova um, and the the topic of this podcast. The, the thing that I'm looking at the resume and I'm looking at Villanova and it's like net 34, Ken Palm 31, BPI 23. And then that's the predictive side. Then the resume side KPI 59, strength of record 67. Obviously, the strength of schedule is really good, and they have the wins that everyone's been talking about for two months because Villanova hasn't added another one of those wins for people to talk about. But, but it's it, I guess my side is it feels like Villanova has a path here because it, it feels like I was doing a little bit of cursory research, I'm sure you would know this better than me, but. It feels like it's relatively rare for a team with a, the the advanced metrics or the predictive metrics that, that Villanova has to be left out of the field, but it does happen. So I'm curious kind of what your feelings are and where Villanova stands in everything.
2: Yeah, it certainly does happen. And I think that's because, I mean, you think about it, the teams that are top 30 in the country tend to get in the tournament. Like that's, that's really what it is. And, and, and more often than not, the more teams play games, the more likely their resume metrics are going to match their quality metrics. That that's the point of the quality metrics is to predict where you're going to be when you continue to play more games. Right. Uh, and, and for Villanova, that hasn't been the case. Their resume metrics have not matched up to their quality <laughs> metrics at, at this point. And that, that puts it in a games. tough spot. <laughs> Correct. So like it, it's, it's a battle of, you know, you look at teams that had missed the tournament, uh, there are several of them that have been that have been really high in these in these quality metrics but but have failed to make the tournament uh and, and i think that that's what you'll see is teams around villanova's what 31st right now in ken bomb yeah like if it's they like one or two 30, teams
1: a year it's like one or two teams a year in the top 30 yeah yeah
2: but but think about it this way right like if they stay 31st in Palm, they're probably going to make the tournament because that means yeah. they're probably going to win three out of the last six. Right. Uh, and, and if they don't do that, then they're not going to be 31st in Kenpom anymore. Yeah, right, like, right. They'll probably drop to 36 or 37 or 40. Uh, it, it, that makes it like right now when you look at where you think a team belongs to be, those quality metrics are certainly an edge. Uh, but I think that the general consensus, at least among racketologists, and, and whether that's what the committee believes this year or not, we have no idea. But based right. on, on, yes. recent, on recent history, it would suggest that if you're going to look at metrics purely as like what you want to see as just kind of a baseline, uh, cursory glance at what your resume is like, I think resume metrics, like your KPI and strength of record, have more of an impact on your selection for the field. And then quality metrics have a bigger impact on your seeding. Um, and, and it's important to remember as part of that, that the committee doesn't seed teams until it's selected at sixty-eight, there the, are separate steps.
1: Right. Yeah. No. I, I, that's a that's a good reminder that the that the resume is the is the cr- critical thing. So you've said now a couple times. So
2: like like right now, like if Selection Sunday was tonight and Villanova made the field, I think I would be surprised if they were last four in. Like I think if they were to make the field, I think they would get a boost in their seating due to having start. great quality metrics. Okay. But they might be one of the last teams selected, but they might not be seated as one of those last teams, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, so that makes sense when they go through sixty-eight. Villanova's the sixty-six yep. team they add in, but when they yep. sit about when they think about re-ranking it, it's like, well, Villanova yep. beat UNC. Villanova beat Creighton, at yep. Creighton. Villanova's beaten Texas Tech. Like that's probably and, and even some of, of that's it. like. And I think that
2: comes back to some of these conversations, even with Butler and Villanova, with the Villanova yep. wins that you just mentioned, and Butler playing and winning at Creighton and at Marquette, and like. It's it's a fundamental way of looking at it, but let's say these teams are contending for 11 seeds. If you ask the teams that you're putting on the 6th line, who do you want to play, Butler and Pro- Villanova probably aren't at the top of that list, yeah, given right. what they've done away from home this year.
0: This kind of feels like, I mean, I'm making a weird correlation, but like two years ago, that 2022 Michigan team that was an 11 seed, um, that were like, they... Kind of struggled during conference play. They lost early to Indiana. It was the it was the team that went to the Sweet Sixteen and lost to Nova. Um, but they there was issues with them getting in the tournament. But they had done the work in the regular or in the non conference. They had a up and down Big Ten, and then they came in and then boom, a Sweet Sixteen team. Like yeah. it was interesting. Yeah. So I, I, that's just like that was the first correlation I thought of. Uh, well,
1: with that. Or it's like the reverse Providence from a couple of years ago where. They hated Ken Palm that year. They, they, it was a it was a mass demonstration against Ken Palm in Rhode Island. But I'm they're but the they yeah, yeah because they they won all their they won a ton of games but they won them all by like five. <laughs> um, yeah,
2: shout out shout out Ole Miss in South Carolina this year, man.
1: Yeah, right. I guess I guess so. You're you mentioned three, and you mentioned getting three wins down the stretch. Obviously, Villanova's got a, a you know they got to get the game versus Georgetown. I think that's the that's yeah, obvious yep. one. I, I think I've been saying that.
2: I've been saying that with Butler's road game against DePaul. It's like if you want if you're on the bubble right now and you play Georgetown or DePaul, if you lose your fan base, if it's Butler or Villanova, like if you lose to Georgetown, you lose to DePaul. There can be no complaining on Selection Sunday at this point.
1: Right? Yeah. No. Agreed. Well, we're, we're we're fully on board there,
2: <laughs> we
0: re- and we already had the loss to Drexel. We already had the loss to Penn. Like it's already, we already have the we made up the for it right? other
3: way other ways. Yeah. yeah,
0: but you can't have like yeah that the DePaul or Georgetown loss would be the biggest blemish of them all. So, and obviously, yeah. you guys have already avoided the DePaul one. DePaul, yeah, yeah, DePaul go. gone, so. yeah, yeah.
1: We avoided DePaul roulette. Although in theory, <laughs> that's a DePaul and Georgetown roulette are very much on the table for Wednesday night at the Garden. So yes,
2: yep, yep. For all okay. these teams, really, so probably even
1: Um yeah, Seton Hall, I think, is pretty safely now in the buy in the
2: position. Yeah. yeah,
1: in a buy territory for the Big East tournament. Yep. Yeah. Um, the the I guess my question is is like, okay, so you got Georgetown, so that's one, right? You got UConn at UConn, so I think we can Correct. chop Georgia that up. Lost. I this think we can chop that up as a loss. <laughs> Butler losing by nine after Marquette lost by twenty eight feels like a, a victory there. <laughs> um, the, uh, that the, then you have, I guess, the, the the games that everyone wants to know what's going to happen. Which obviously we have the game that we previewed just uh, before the break, and then we have at Providence, at Seton Hall, and Creighton at home to round out the season. I think the Villanova fan base is kind of thinking that Villanova needs to get three of those four, but uh, maybe I'm mishearing you. But is it are you in the mindset that it's Actually two of those four is enough to be there.
2: Well, I think two of those four is conversation for sure. Okay. okay. I think uh, I think two I think two of the four and you're still like like I don't think if you win two of the four, you're heading into the big east tournament like the season is over. How about that? Like I think it's pretty, not big
1: East or bust. It's correct.
2: Yeah. Like if it's a, if it's at two, I think you're like you're in the big East tournament. Okay, we can make a run here and, and make a push. Um, and three, I think you're sitting in a little bit better position there. Uh, but obviously, as this this is, you know, a constant hedge that every bracketology person will use relentlessly for the next month and a half, it is every bubble conversation comes with the caveat of what other teams have done right uh, down this stretch. And especially for even just even within its own conference with Villanova, like – Three of the final games are against bubble teams, but there's there's two others they don't play. Right, um, like they can control a bit of their own destiny when it comes to picking up um, a split with Butler and a and a sweep of Providence or a sweep of Seton Hall. But they can't do anything about uh, those other two there, two there with, with St. John's and Xavier. St. John's so, might
3: so be taking care of themselves.
1: Yeah, St. John's is taking True. Correct, correct.
3: Yeah. Tino is down horrendously, and I would just like everybody to listen to our season preview where I said uh, that I don't think anything special is going to happen there this year. Uh,
1: <laughs> well, what's happened yeah. that's special is the post-game comments that he just had. Yeah, no, I'm smiling
3: throughout the pod because I've been reading tweets and seeing that kind of stuff, and I'm just – it's, you know, the, the – uh, Uh, watching somebody's downfall and me happy because I prayed for it. Um, So um,
1: I I guess if you had to pick a win that Villanova could get down the stretch here, like, and and I know it's gotta be multiple, two, three, whatever, we could debate that. But like, is there any of those four games, Butler at Providence at Seton Hall, Creighton at home of any of those four games, Would stand out to you as like, hey, this one is like, would be like a really good linchpin and to to round out this season.
0: I I actually want to kind of like take that question and add something else to it. This is what I was thinking about. What's the when you from a committee perspective? What's the value of? All right, Villanova doesn't win at home, but they beat Providence and Sein Hall on the road. They get those two wins on the road, but everything else they drop, and then beat Georgetown at home. Like, let's say you beat Georgetown. What's the value of like? is, Is there more? I believe there should be more value on the road wins there, but how does that? How would the committee? How does that affect seating? It's a little
2: tricky because because the road wins would really help, but then if you're concluding that, then you're then you're dropping a quad two game at home yeah. to Butler as part of that, um, mm-hmm. which which would detract. But I think to your point, I think there's there's potentially more value in having swept a Providence or having swept Seton Hall than being swept by Butler, if that makes yeah. sense. Uh, like, I think that if you're on, if you're in a bubble conversation, like I think head to head is one of the most overrated things in racketology conversations, uh, because it, it boils down to far more than that. Like the head to head only matters when the margin is really thin, uh, and you're comparing teams head to head right on the, right on the cut line or right next to each other. Uh, and I think that we talk about that a little too much sometimes, but man, these teams could be really close together. Like, <laughs> like, like these teams could, could be really tight. Um, and if that's the case, um, then having those kind of games, um, having already had wins over Seton Hall and Providence at home, um, having a chance to to really assert that we're definitely better than this team, um, which you can't do um, in, in a Butler game, um, coming up. I think there's there's certainly an advantage there, especially when you can brag um, when you, if you could brag about a road win over um, yeah. already having having a road win at Creighton, the neutral site wins at North Carolina and Texas Tech, and to some extent, Memphis. Um, <laughs> I'm pissed off at of them right now. <laughs> as much as as much as that has hurt, has been fading. Yeah. Um, I think that that uh, there's definite value in those wins away from home, uh, especially if you can add more of them uh, with Providence and Seton Hall. Because and obviously, UConn would do phenomenal wonders. But we. we we're all, I think, on the same page, that that's going to be exceedingly difficult.
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone's sitting here being like, oh, we just got to get that game against <laughs> – we just, we just got to find a way to get that game against, uh, <laughs> against UConn. No, I did like, that's Yeah, if, if we were if – we, if, we like, yeah, if we felt like we needed that game against UConn, I think we would be having a conversation that was more along the lines of what the conversation you just had around St. John's and Xavier. Like, yeah. like you okay, you need Yukon to pull you out of the out of the like the Undertaker sitting up in the yeah. like that, that gif. Like that's that's kind of the conversation. If we needed to beat Yukon, that would be the conversation that we'd be. Yeah. But yes, I feel like if we beat Yukon, then I we can get two more wins and we're <laughs> we're good. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so, okay, so okay. First for, so you're kind of in the Understanding that you got to do it and whatever, you're kind of in Villanova circling in the first four out or yeah. second four, next four out category.
2: Yeah, I think that's about right where they should, right where I would have them. And that's coming into this Butler game, obviously. Like, I think but, a home quad two win over what would be another bubble team that could be playing its way out at the moment with Butler. Uh, I think there's certainly something there. It, it it will come down to obviously how other teams perform and if there's going to be bid stealers that that occur. Um, but I think Villanova is definitely in the mix, and, and I think that not only are they in the mix, the mix is as I said earlier, it's 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 shrunk pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, and the teams that really have a chance here, uh, and there's really not many teams that are playing their way like really into consideration. Like you can make an argument like Iowa picked up a big win this weekend, but they're still. Eighty-first in KPI, seventy-second in strength of the record. Like they're really, really far on the outskirts compared to these other teams that are close to the cut line. Like it's it's shrinking down to you know five or six teams on the outside that can really make it push in. Um, and I think that that for some teams that have been falling towards the cut line, they forget that. You know, teams have to play their way in to knock the teams that already were in that position.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like that's just the thing where typically you see teams are more likely to play themselves out than play themselves in, and then it's just more about you saying, yeah. Yeah. like, holding serve where you can to get in that position. Um, yeah, I, I I completely agree there. I'm just like looking at all these bubble teams, thinking about like yeah. Who could I have my notes
1: play. that I have going on. So so Providence and Seton Hall. Let's yeah. let's maybe talk about them and. I don't want to say they're two peas in a pod. It's not exactly the same from a resume standpoint, but they have some similar, there's something similar about them, but Providence is super weird because on paper, it feels like, yeah, they're top 60 in the predictive metrics, 43 BPI, um, KPI 60 strength of record, 46 Thanks to schedule is not necessarily a, it's not an asset, but it's not a detraction. But they're and and they have the wins versus Creighton, Wisconsin, Marquette, and not a bad law. They don't really have a blemish on their resume. I mean, maybe they're worse. It's
2: kind of hard to have a blemish. Don't play a quad three game.
1: Right. Yeah. Fair enough. (laughs) Um, But maybe the biggest blemish on their resume is that we pounded them at 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 home. But like, but other than that, the they are. It, I just don't know what the committee is going to do with the Bryce Hopkins thing because they amassed, they amassed two of those wins with Hopkins. I think the Creighton win after Hopkins goes down kind of goes back in time and revalidates those wins to some degree, but it all came at home. So I guess what, what does the committee do? What, what do you think Providence needs to accomplish here down the stretch?
2: Yeah, Providence, I think, is really tricky because, as you hit it, like, what are what is the committee going to do with the Bryce Hopkins situation? Uh, and, and even that goes into an overtime home win over Butler, which was their last game with a fully healthy Bryce Hopkins. Uh, as you go into that, and, and part of what's you know, and Wisconsin's been trending down over the last few weeks as well. Uh, and you look at the thing that I think is the biggest. You mentioned the the blowout loss to Nova, but I think the two really black eyes of sorts on Providence's resume uh, is a two and six road record for one um, two and six in true road games. And one of those wins is DePaul, uh, which does nothing for me. And I assume does nothing for the committee uh, winning at DePaul. And, and secondly is yes, they've played a better non-conference strength of schedule than some teams on the bubble. I'm looking at Northwestern, Nebraska, TCU, that kind of group of teams. Uh, but 240th in non-conference strength of schedule, significantly below like a team like Villanova, a team like Butler, a team like Xavier, all of which are top 20 in national strength of schedule and all of which play top 100 non-conference strength of schedules. Um, and I hit it earlier. Like, they're 0-0 zero and zero in quad. I think that's thing. I think quad three is the most underappreciated portion of a resume that there is uh, and because those are – Semi-quality wins, like, they matter more than just feeling, like, oh, we beat up on quad four opponents. Uh, and I do think there is a difference between being, like, an 8-0 or 9-0 in quad four versus seeing double-digit wins in quad four. I think there's, there's some eye test, like, just not an eye test of watching the game, but an eye test of, like, what you see on a sheer screen is, is a high major team that played 10 quad four games I think can be a detractor. Um, for Providence, but but I do think that they've, they've as you already hit on, asserted some things with, with beating Creighton um, at home without Hopkins and then, although with a recent fade, they, they beat St. John's home without him, uh, and they've obviously put themselves into a better position than the rest of the bubble teams up Sands, Seton Hall, um, as far as potential seeding in the Big East with being 8-7 and seven and still having a game against Georgetown remaining, um, which should be a win to get, to get over 500, to get more over 500, but I think they're going to be really tested with, you know, they're only going to be favored in two games the rest of the season. Um, And one of those is going to be, is going to be a tight one at home against Villanova. Uh, So, so I think they're a team that's right in the mix. It's just, it's so hard to separate this group right now of really all of these teams with Seton Hall, Providence, uh, Villanova and and Butler, I think are really, really tightly meshed together.
0: For all these teams that are coming up, is there a matchup that you're most like, all right, this is one that's going to tell us the most, uh, for between any of the six teams, there is it, and is it maybe Tuesday? <laughs> like, which one do you think is most important? Yeah, it it could
2: be Tuesday. Um, I think I'd probably lean towards something maybe a bit later, like maybe yeah, maybe it's Seton Hall Villanova on the sixth. Uh, that could be it because that's going to be Seton Hall's second to last regular season game. Their last game is at home against DePaul, so that's really Villanova at home is their last chance to add a quality win presumably, until the Big East tournament, yeah. um, in which they won't be able to pick up like just kind of a freebie win in the first round because they're going to get a bye uh, yeah. more than likely, which which I think like for some teams is good to avoid a potential landmine against the DePaul or, or, or Georgetown, but for others, it's kind of nice to add tack on another win sometimes. Uh, I think for Seton Hall, having already a pretty good record, they're not a team that's going to need that, uh, but I do think that, that coming into this final stretch, they go Butler at home at Creighton at UConn Nova at home. That's that's tough, and then you finish at, and then you finish against DePaul, which doesn't really do anything for you. So like their their resume could be essentially lined up by March sixth.
1: Right, right, that makes sense. It's a very interesting situation, by the way, with that like Big East tournament. Like, hey, do you rather be? six, seven seed and get the chance to, and, and have the chance to really blow it, blow it to smithereens on a, on a, on a bad yeah, night they, on a Wednesday night at the garden,
2: or of course. Good, yeah. COVID COVID years Xavier lost to DePaul two days before the season ended. Yeah. That was probably a game that's going to keep them out of the tournament in 20, whatever 20.
1: Yeah. But the, but then the other side of the equation is that, Hey, okay. You get past that team and then you don't have to play yukon at MSG. <laughs> Is is the other is the other like benefit of that equation is you get a you get a win and then yeah, Marquette and Creighton are tough, and I'm assuming that Marquette and Creighton are two three, but
0: I think C yeah. Hall
1: can jump in there. Certainly um, can be there. Uh, but but so like you, you you jump into that two three game and it's like okay, well that's an eminently more winnable game, especially talking most of these teams that we're having this conversation about, butler aside, are and Xavier's um, I'm, I'm kind of ruling out at the moment but our east coast team so for in terms of like in terms of like being able to be an msg and impose a little bit of fan will on the game if you will then you know those game those teams are going to be at a advantage over Marquette and Creighton um, on Thursday night and obviously then I think as you go, I think we've, I think we talked about this before. As you go deeper into these tournaments, the NCAA committee seems to be devaluing because they, they kind of get, it seems like they kind of get a, a bracket together and then they're moving little bits and pieces. I feel
2: like they care. Yeah. After, after I'm making, I'm making a hot take this year. And I think that they are, uh, without knowing anything on the inside of it, my bracketology hot take this year is the, Conference tournament will mean more than they ever have because they've gotten more backlash than they ever have the last two or three okay. years. Oh,
1: like I think, we, I
2: think, I think we could see a reversion into like those games really, really being impactful this year. Whether or not that happens remains to be seen. Whether or not I actually take that into account when I put my final bracket in also <laughs> remains to be seen. But it, it's it's my it's my tinfoil hat bracket take. I think this year is that we could see those games mean more than they have recently because of some of the backlash for some recent seedings.
1: Yeah. I- that makes, that makes sense to me. Um, it also is interesting, by the way. That's one other caveat, is that if you find your way into this 8-9 game where it feels like St. John's might be, then you actually get – I believe if I read this correctly, you get a way game credit for that game if you play St. John's. Yep, you do. Yeah, because yep. – That's always yeah. been the case. Yeah, and they're not treating it as a neutral – yeah, no, I, I – I was confused that it was a neutral site
2: for everybody except St. John's. It's a home game for St. John's and a road game for teams playing St. John's.
1: Got it. That's always that. that, I did not know that. That's an interesting fact to me, Um, which would, I guess also mean that Villanova's loss to Drexel at the Wells Fargo center is a home loss (laughs) or, (laughs) uh, but nevertheless, um, Okay, so Providence, where do you – I guess going back to Providence, where do you have them at the moment if you had to give a a roundabout thing? Are they in the field or are they just on the outside?
2: Yeah, I had Providence as my third to last team in um, coming into the weekend. Uh, And I think that that's probably about where they will stay. Uh, DePaul does very little for me, especially when – it wasn't a blowout. And, and, yes, before any province games get at me, I'm aware it's a 12-0 run by DePaul that makes it an 11-point game. But the odds anyone is really paying that much attention to it,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: I think are pretty low. And the fact is that the, that metric-wise, it's an 11-point game, and that, that's really what it comes down to, uh, in that what could have been a nice boost their metrics turned out to actually be a three-spot drop over the weekend uh, on Ken Palm as a result of it. So I think they'll probably stay there. Obviously, beating DePaul doesn't do anything to really change a resume but it also certainly doesn't hurt um, and you look at teams like Wake Forest missed an opportunity um, Seton Hall did get one that might be able to push it ahead maybe uh, Villanova doesn't really bow me from this weekend either um, Utah did get a win tonight while we were on this podcast um, that might be enough but but Utah has been been fading pretty quickly here too uh, there, there's, there's a whole lot of, of ifsies if you go pretty much Texas A and M on down of my seed list from the weekend that I that I'm intrigued to yeah. see where they end up with, um, early tomorrow morning or early or early Tuesday morning.
1: Is, is Providence's name of the game? Is kind of is it a little bit hold serve and win the games that you have to win big to to move the metrics to move the metric needle a little bit? Is that is that all they have to do? Like can they go two and three down the stretch? With, with maybe like a blowout over Georgetown and that could be enough? or do No, I don't think to? so. No, okay. Yeah,
2: I don't think so because, I mean, I think one thing that is at least somewhat discussed in bracketology stuff is, is record against the top three quadrants um, being, being like games that, that have value like just for the most part, except unless it's a loss, you can generally throw out quad four games in, in a lot of cases. Um, and for Providence, they're, they're seven and nine. Um, against the upper two, upper three quadrants this year because they haven't played a quad three game. Uh, whereas you look at like seven and nine versus um, some of these other teams in the mix. Um, let's see if I can pull it up here. Uh, I think Butler's nine and 10. Um, let's see.
1: I think Villanova's eight and five.
2: Uh, first so three quadrants is 10, 10, 10 and 11.
1: Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, first three, sorry. I was thinking
2: just yeah, ten and eleven versus Butler's nine and ten, a Seton Hall's nine and nine. Province doesn't have the quantity of those wins compared to those other teams at seven and nine. It also has a worse win percentage in those games at seven and nine. And and I think if you look at being, if you think that one of those two wins is is Georgetown, yes, that's a quad three game, but it doesn't really it it would help in some capacity. But I don't think it changes very much Uh, there. I think they're going to need at least two here down the stretch.
1: Okay. And then Seton Hall, which is, is almost like the opposite land of Villanova in the sense of their predictive metrics are not good. <laughs> and But their but their resumes solid. And they don't – I mean, they have a – they don't have no bad losses. They have a loss at home versus Rutgers, which isn't horrible, but it's not great. And then they have that neutral site loss versus USC, which I think when they took that loss, they thought, ah, it's not – it's just a missed opportunity, not a big – not a bad deal, but it's easily their worst loss on their resume. Um, but they have a win versus UConn, which is something that no one has done in the year 2024. So that's that's something. <laughs> and and Marquette, so they beat the top. The only teams, the only team that has gotten a donation of wins uh, from both UConn and Marquette to this point is Seton Hall. Um, they swept the Johnnies. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, yep. I don't know where I don't I don't know exactly what to do with them because their metrics are so brutal. But they but their resume is solid.
2: Yeah, I had them on the outside looking in coming into the weekend, um, but I think that that could definitely have changed uh, following a road win um, at St. John's. That that's going to fit in there for Quadrant One, uh, and I believe that's their fifth Quad One win of the year. It is. Uh, that gives them five quad win wins this year. Uh, I think that that's, that's a big leg up on the rest of the bubble. Um, and a four and four road record is pretty good as well. Uh, one thing that, that I noted also earlier uh, with Providence is 241 in non-conference strength of schedule, which, which can sometimes be something that crops up um, late in these discussions in terms of bubble teams. And, and as I mentioned with, with the Villanova or Butler, who are both top 100 in non-conference strength of schedule, uh, I don't know where Villanova's overall SOS is. I think it's probably around 20, uh, 24. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and Butler's played the seventh toughest schedule uh, comparatively to Seton Hall, who's sitting at the 55th. Uh, I think that that could be um, a difference maker for the Hall. Uh, but I do think that they're a team that probably deserves to be in the field right now, coming into a stretch that plays you know three of their final five at home. And both of the road games are, are nothing that that will hurt them in any capacity. The only thing that that playing at Creighton and at UConn can do is help.
1: Right, right, okay. So you have them kind of in that same kind of in the same area as Providence. Is there a leg up between Providence? I think
2: every. I think I think everyone's probably in the same area right now. I, I had Butler a, a touch ahead um, of that group coming to the weekend and a twenty-two point loss at home. Um, even if it is to a good team in Creighton, twenty-two point home loss is a twenty-two point home loss like that. That's a problem, uh, and I think that that I think probably two, maybe three, probably three actually. I, I would hazard a guess that three Big East teams will be in my last six teams into the field tomorrow morning. Uh, okay, and I, I, I would I would expect that to be in some order, but they're Providence and Seton Hall with Nova in the first two or three teams out of the field.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I keep seeing the. The, I'll call them the, the the popular media bracketologists, if you will. Um, I keep seeing them have three biggies teams in that, like, next four out category or first four out, next four out category. And I was getting nervous watch, looking at them because I'm like, man, they, it, it almost feels like – I don't know how these teams climb up and over each other. But hearing you kind of go through it, maybe a little bit more optimism. Um,
2: yeah, I think something that goes with that is – you look at the teams that are hovering around the cut line and they just have more opportunities for some landmine losses um, in, in there, like a Mississippi, like their, their quality metrics are so poor that you could see them um, slide out of the field pretty quickly. And Gonzaga is in, in the opposite case where like, if they lose to St. Mary's um, they're going to enter the tournament field with, with, with enter selection Sunday, probably with one quality win. That's going to be really tough to handle. Uh, a Nebraska who's played horribly on the road for the most, most part of the season and has played a tor- poor non-conference to schedule. Like there's holes you can poke in any of these uh, any of these resumes here uh, on the 10, 11, and, and first four or five teams out of the field. You can poke holes in all of them. Um, and, no, and a lot of these teams are, are just kind of doing the best they can to fill as many of those as they can. Because in a lot of ways, when you get down to these bubble conversations – It's not just about trying to prove that you belong in the NCAA tournament's the committee. It's also trying to give the committee as few reasons as possible to leave you out.
0: Mm. I mean, I think like what I would say to like Nova fans, honestly, at this stage is kind of like, we have the schedule left to like, I know earlier I said, a lot of times you play yourself out, but like, this is a, we have the schedule to play ourselves in like, that's just like, I don't want to, I don't like, do you truly control your own destiny? I guess. Sure. Um, but like we can play ourselves in. that's yeah. the
2: beauty of college basketball, man yeah, every right. team controls their own destiny <laughs> every except, team for, yeah. except the guy, except those that are that are ineligible for the tournament
0: so like there's a chance like you know georgetown be best-
2: controls his own destiny and so does the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do they really <laughs> <laughs> just, just gotta cut down the nets in msg no we do
1: what would, what seed would DePaul get if they if they if they won four games in four days at MSG? Would they be a fifteen?
2: I think that's probably right uh, because of like it's so hard. For, it's, that's such a tricky question. Yeah, like Georgia like, did it thing, in
0: two thousand seven, I think, and they were fourteen or yeah, whatever. Or they what were
2: fourteen. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, the thing. The thing with DePaul is like to get there, they're gonna have, especially with the with the way the Big East bubble is, they're probably gonna have to knock off like a bunch of really good teams to get there. <laughs> So, like their metrics right now would say sixteen, but to have won the tournament, they would have had to have dramatically increased all of those numbers. <laughs> that's that's such a wild question. I mean, they have three wins this year <laughs> in all four and quad four. Um, I, 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 I guess guess fifteen. Yeah. Like I can I can see what happens. My attorney cast. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm already on it. Yeah. <laughs> all like, right. well, if I hard filter it to just teams that made the field, it's got to be up there.
1: While that's going on, I guess maybe then where your head's at at the moment is is I'm ranking the if I'm ranking these six Big East teams like top to bottom in terms of where they stand right now, kind of versus each other. Butler's on Butler's kind of got the cut uh, the slight cut above. Then Providence and Seton Hall are kind of right there next to one another. Then Villanova, and then maybe a little bit of a gap, and then St. John's and Xavier. Is that? Is that? Yeah, I think
2: that's correct. I I think for now, and obviously that'll come down to how numbers change for Seton Hall after today and and when I get further into it um, over the next twenty-four hours or so. I think I will still try to avoid the bias I have. Yeah. And, and I think I'll, I'll try to, to – I think I'll probably still have Butler head because, as you talk about Seton Hall's great wins be, being UConn and Marquette um, and, and Providence's being Wisconsin and Marquette, all four of those games were at home, uh, whereas Butler's best wins were both on the road. I think Butler will probably still have a slight edge there, but I think I would probably say Butler, Providence, Seton Hall are all really tight, and Nova's just one step behind and joins that group. Um, with a win on Tuesday and, and definitely a little bit of a gap before, like, don't rule them out yet, St. Johnson Xavier.
1: Got it. Okay. And then I guess, I guess, final, maybe final question is UConn, Marquette, Creighton, talking about those guys at the top of the at the top of the bracket. Did anything in the bracket reveal surprise you, make you think a little bit of, differently about your methodology? Or did it kind of shake out how you expected to shake out?
2: You know, I still have to dive a little bit more into it because they did the bracket reveal while I'm in Hanko field Toss watching tip-off for Mother Creighton. Um, So I didn't really get to hear anything about it yet, and I still haven't watched anything back about it. Uh, I think Marquette was a little lower than I anticipated, uh, but I think that has more to do with more props from the committee for North Carolina than it does a diss at Marquette. Uh, And I think that you know, at the point, uh, UConn is the best team in the country, but there's no doubt about the fact that they were behind Purdue in terms of resume.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I think that was, that was a guarantee uh, for me, for UConn. Uh, and I think that, you know, UConn deservingly is, is likely to be a one seed. I think Marquette's deservedly going to be a two or a three. Uh, and it wasn't a surprise to me necessarily to see Creighton not included. Uh, I thought they had a chance because, because of really good quality metrics um, being there, They're ninth in BPI 13th in Ken but I, but I think a five or six is probably about right, too. I think anywhere in four to six is about where Creighton
0: belongs. I think what surprised me the most was the – I mean, I'm going to go back to the Mountain West because I've been obsessed with them this season. But San Diego State being top four. I was not expecting that. I thought they'd finish out being a five seed. And then you see, like, whether it was uh, Creighton giving the four or whatever it was. But San Diego State getting that four seed was probably the first thing that I saw that I was like, oh, that was pretty surprising to me.
2: Yeah, that contributes to my tinfoil hat theory. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of like, well, 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 is is San Diego State gonna be? Is San Diego State in the four line without an eleven point win at home over New Mexico the day before? Yeah, I, I don't think they are. Like, I think they're probably a five seed, and I think that goes to it goes as a bit of a testament to the committee to to being active and having a contingency ready for what was a really nice performance for San Diego State to add what was their fifth quad one win of the year, and I think that they deserved to be on the four. Like, I w- if I was to have updated my field on. Saturday morning to what I thought it should be, San Diego State would have been on my four line. I didn't expect them to have done that contingency, so I kept them on my five. But I think that's a good sign for for what's going to be an important conference tournament week relative to what people have talked about in the past.
1: Makes sense. Um, I guess Purdue was clearly ahead from a resume standpoint for the number one overall seed versus UConn. Do you think the game yesterday makes that a little bit more of a question, or is it still?
2: I think it's still Purdue.
1: Um, yeah. <clears throat> let's say UConn goes into Creighton. This, I think they're at Creighton this week. I, I think yeah, that's the right. there. Yeah, they go into Creighton this week, and they mop the floor with them too. Is that is Or are you thinking that? That can
2: change things, because right now the advantage there is Purdue has seven top half of quad one wins, and UConn has five. Two two is a pretty significant difference there um, at the top of the standings, uh, but it, it's certainly something that I could see happening. It is a jump because I think UConn has has been has proven to be by far the best team in the Big East, um, and, and it still has big opportunities left. As you mentioned, they get at Creighton this week, but they also still go at Prop at Marquette uh, and Providence. But I was meaning Marquette more than anything. Uh, whereas Purdue, you know, they're going to have. Illinois on the road, Wisconsin at home, Michigan State at home. They all these team both of these teams have tough games left, uh, which I think could shift if one of them gets hot and the other one drops one or two of what is very reasonable against tough schedules for both Purdue um, and UConn that they could drop two here in the last five. Uh, and if that if that was to be the case, I could see them swapping on the one line, uh, but I think it's pretty locked in that they're going to be um, one seeds come next month. Gotcha.
1: I think the only thing I think. UConn fans can find an excuse to get pissed off about anything, but but I think as long as they're in the East region, I think they're going to be pretty happy. Can't wait to be
3: the reason they, they lose the number one overall seed.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and also, like it, it also shouldn't matter much. Like Purdue's going to get the Midwest. UConn will take the East. Like
3: yeah, right.
2: if yeah. If you reverse it, UConn. This isn't a matter of of UConn versus Villanova for the number one seed, where yeah. you're talking about the East region. Being up in the air, and, and even if you want to go further, like Houston's going to probably want the
0: South, Arizona's yeah. going to want the West. Like, you there's no, no one else. Yeah, the there's east. no one else who would take the East. Like UNC,
1: if they were to somehow run roughshod yep. over yep. the rest yep. of the schedule, It'd be the and, and theoretically,
2: theoretically, Tennessee, if Purdue took the Midwest, theoretically, Tennessee could want the East. Yeah. Um, same with Marquette, but but I think that yeah, it sounds in pretty good shape to get yeah. the East.
0: Yeah. Okay. If we're having a conversation about Tennessee or UNC being in contention for the East, it's because UConn faltered. And UConn
2: um, has faltered. And, yeah. and at that point, no one in UConn is going to complain about it because they'll think the sky is falling and then win the next.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How dare we not be national championship contenders? <laughs> um, cool. Uh, I. I and I think I'm done with my line of oh, question.
0: I, I mean, I want to ask about the Mountain West. It's just been my yeah. – it's, it's the most interesting uh, – It's to me, it's the most interesting conference in college basketball, the top six in the Mountain West. Like, are we getting six? Like, I feel like it's – not in stone, but, like, I feel pretty good about all 6 Um curious your thoughts of where you have them all. Yeah, I feel better
2: now having Nevada come from behind and beat UNLV last night. Yeah. Uh, which, f- for some godforsaken reason, I was awake to watch. Uh, <laughs> shout shout out USC for going to double overtime. Which at that point, I was like, "Well, I stayed it for this. Might as well watch the end of <laughs> that UNLV." Uh, so I think that I think that that six bids is more likely than four. Yeah, uh, but I still think five is probably the most likely situation. I think one of those teams probably drops out of the field. And if it's one of those two, I think it's probably Nevada um, or Boise state. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't think, I think San Diego state obviously has put itself in great position. Yeah. Colorado state has done the same. New Mexico um, does have a really tricky schedule left. Uh, I think that that's, that's kind of flown a bit under the radar and that they had a really front loaded uh, pretty easy start to the schedule in Mountain West. And so they jumped out to that six and two start. There's two and three over the last five. They still get Colorado State at home. Boise State on the road. Utah State on the road. Like, it wouldn't be a shock if they lost all three of those games. Um, and if they do, things could get interesting. Uh, but, I, but I think more likely than not, this is a five or six bid league uh, with potentially two or three of those teams in double-digit seats, though.
0: Cool. I but like, also, yeah.
2: what I won't do is I will not rule out seven bid bound west yet. I won't. I refuse.
0: Who are we talking about? The seventh being
2: UNLV at home in the Mountain West tournament. You never know.
0: Okay, there we go. Yes,
2: <laughs> like you just like I think the odds that they they that if that were to happen they'd knock yeah. out one of the other six is really high. But like they've been, I mean, I, you, we saw it last night to some extent. They almost knocked off Nevada. I mean, they've been a they've been a kind of a giant killer in, in the Mountain West sometime, at points this year. They they swept uh, New Mexico and they beat Boise State on the road. That's yeah. a dangerous team. It's a dangerous
0: team. Are they like barely lost to Colorado state to three by like three or something earlier. In the yeah. They're,
2: they're good, but they're a good, they're a good team that can lose to anyone <clears throat> air force by 32 <laughs> uh, at home <laughs> or they can beat anybody. Like I think that, and that's that'll, that'll make that tournament at least somewhat interesting.
1: I love the broad shoulders of the Creighton blue Jays lifting the mountain West conference to glory. They, I mean, what did they donate? Three wins to the Mountain West in the in the uh, out of yeah, conference. So. Yeah. Um Cool, uh, Lucas. Thank you. Um, yeah, this has been very illuminating conversation, and I think it's um, I think it's it's good to ground everybody and kind of like what the task ahead is. Um, and so, I very much appreciate your uh, you coming on.
2: Yeah, and the last thing I'll say, and this isn't just for Villanova, it's for Butler, it's for Seton Hall, it's for Proud, it's for every one of these Big East teams on the bubble. When you're this close to the cut line, unless it's the Paul or Georgetown, one game doesn't define your season. Like, as I said with Butler, after its twenty-two point game, like the sky can fall, it's not hit the ground until like you're really out of it. Yeah. Uh, and that isn't the case with like a loss. Like if Villanova is to lose at home to Butler, which would be great for me, <laughs> 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 um, if that were to happen. Like there's bounce back situations there still. Yeah. Uh, like, like I think that that there's I think people over underrate how how much of a season five or six games still is. So it's, it's a good chunk of your resume.
1: Good to have it. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Now, I hope you guys are uh, really, really sad on Wednesday. That'd be great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this team can't hurt me. Um, yeah. i No,
1: they can hurt me again. I've gone back to being able to be hurt again.
2: Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, which is which. Which honestly, for me as a, as another fan, like this season has been so weird in that like it feels good to be ready to be heartbroken. <laughs> like after the last few years, it's just a difference. Of like I'm at the point where I'm like okay I can be disappointed and then like I didn't really have a reason to be disappointed the last few years so it was just just lost, just losing
1: yeah well I wish you the best of luck with the season after Wednesday um <laughs> and uh, and yeah no um I really again appreciate you coming uh and joining us here on the full forty
2: yeah thanks have a good one uh and you know have a great rest of your week after Tuesday. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Lucas. I don't know. Brian, Brian. are we awake?
3: Anyway. (laughs) Uh, Lucas, where can people find you?
2: Uh, I'm at Hardware Sports on Twitter. I've got Butler content up on Patreon. I've got National Stuff, Bracketology, Bubble Watch. Uh, I'm going to have some bubble babbles coming pretty soon as I'm just an alliteration Master, right now. Uh, you can find all that stuff
1: at Heat Check College Basketball. All right. There we go. Awesome. All right. Will, you just want to wrap it up? Yes. Yeah, because-
0: and I guess, yeah, for the rest of us. Uh, well, <laughs> so as we mentioned, so we have uh, Butler on Tuesday and then we have UConn on Saturday. Um, we at the pod will probably be recording, I can't remember what we said, either Sunday or Monday of next week, um, re- recapping Butler and uh, UConn and then talking about. Um, the games to come, which are Georgetown and um, I think uh, Seton Hall. Or, no, Georgetown. No, and Providence. 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 Providence game. Which once again, full forty will be at the Providence game on uh, March second. So, uh, you know, we got a couple. We got a couple games. Uh, we're getting ready for the stretch run. So, uh, stay tuned, everybody. We're going to be uh, live on site in Providence. We're going to be upset uh probably after the yukon game and we'll always (laughs) we'll be with you every step of the way um and as always let's go nova